I would not be who I am without what I've experienced. Um, I would not make the decisions that I make without my my experience. As warped as it might sound, um, I do try to take gratitude from them because it was just the way it was. And I do, I'm a great believer in existentialism as well. Um, and that has helped me greatly and just accepting some things just are the way they are and that's just it so that's very freeing for me because that it's just true I wanted the ideal experience of being married um, the t- having the right time to have a baby so having our first baby was just beyond magical um the pregnancy was fine it was okay um I, I didn't particularly like my body changing and things like that but him being born um genuinely the minute he was born I just felt like that said I've arrived I am here this is me I felt a purpose I felt a, a grounding feeling that I hadn't had before I felt in charge I, I felt so powerful um, and he was an amazing baby, very settled, very easy to be with. Um, I just, I adored him. I still do. Um, I remember feeling very happy about even being a wee bit overweight after I had the baby. That didn't bother me. It was like, this is just going to be different for me. Um, and I suppose it did get me to think when I became a mother, I was maybe a little bit more kinder about how I'd thought about my mother and how she had parented me because I suppose up until that point I'd been very critical of her with my own internal voice about the things that she didn't do um, and the things that she did do that weren't great and then when I had him I was able to look back and think oh god well maybe sometimes it was just really hard for her because having a baby is really hard so I suppose having him gave me brought me it made me who I was but it also in a way mended my thinking about my mummy because I kind of healed a little bit in thinking well this is hard so how could I expected her to be amazing or wonderful I kind of understood her a bit more is what I'm trying to say um rather than being so critical of her and and things like that so it that helped so he he was just I mean, amazing in every thought, everything he did. Um, he, he, to me, just was the answer to all my prayers. Like, he was perfect. And my husband thought so too. And still does. We both still do. So I suppose up until I was probably about um, seven um, I would say I had a pretty average childhood. Things were normal enough. I my mum was very young when she had me. She was very young when she had my sister. Um, then her marriage broke down to my dad. Um, quite frankly, they were probably two people that looked good together but didn't function well together. They were also very young when it all happened, and mummy carried a lot of baggage from her own past experiences that just my daddy just wasn't able to help her with um, and it's no one's fault but I suppose 
after the age of seven, mummy's life just took a very chaotic turn. Um, there was a lot of drinking in the house, um, a lot of arguments, a lot of fights, a lot of scary situations. Um, there was violence between her and me and Shauna, my sister. Um, there was a lot of um, inconsistency. There, you know, I did a lot of the washing in the house, a lot of the cooking, cleaning. I remember lifting mummy's you know, um, government handouts at the time because she was a single parent, organising the sister, um, hiding. I remember hiding a lot around the house, hiding my sister, her hiding me, staying out late, not coming home so you didn't have an argument. Um, her Because her life just took a real chaotic spiral. And I, at that age, couldn't, I couldn't figure out why this was happening to me so I thought it was me and I remember kept saying to her a lot of the time oh my I must have done something really bad in a previous life for this to be my life and I never remember her emotionally rescuing me and saying that no you didn't that's okay it's me it was just she couldn't do it she she just was didn't have the ability the emotional kind of intelligence to say actually no this is my my baggage and I it's not your responsibility um so there was a it was a very toxic childhood from I was seven onwards and for both me and my sister um at times we intermittently blamed each other um but we blamed mommy mostly and as just time got on if you can imagine you have a, 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 someone struggling with huge addiction problems trauma completely unresolved um with two teenage children and it just was a recipe for disaster and at that time my dad also got remarried so in a way we were abandoned by him so it was just the perfect storm um and I couldn't go to my mum for anything I couldn't ask her I couldn't ask her for even the basic emotional support or regulation um I my friends who are around today were the people that I would have went to um, I grew up very quickly, but I noticed my looking back, my personality was very affected by that relationship with my mummy. Um, I find it very hard to trust people or I would have got very uh, possessive of people. Um, I overinvested in a lot of friendships emotionally. Um, so it would have been very hurt if, say, my friends had went out one night and didn't ring me and asked me to go. Um, like I took it so personally, but it was always just that fear. Um and then I suppose uh, there was no one we could tell. You didn't talk about these things. You couldn't go in to school and say, oh, guess what happened to my house last night? Or, and I suppose the pattern of mummy's drinking was very much on a cycle. And it, she literally would have drank for about five, six weeks, day in, day out on the trot. So, like, there, genuinely, there might not have been food in the house. Um the money, we we would have got money. We'd have taken it out of our purse to go and get things like electric. We would have to get groceries. Um, the house would have been very cold. I mean, it it's the kind of stuff that, like, I you read about. Um, and I suppose at that time, I was just so angry with her. Because why would you, why would you let your life become this way? You know, I just couldn't understand it. And I blame myself and I blame my sister and she blamed me and, it was all pretty toxic. Um, and I felt very anxious. So my anxiety 
started to build and build and build. Um, and I suppose I am probably predisposed to having like a type A personality. So I'm like very need to be organized. Um, a lot of my self-worth is tied up in my performance, both academically and in my own work nowadays. I don't know if that's just me or if that's like a combination of everything. Um, and I'm constantly trying to remind myself to get out of that puddle. You know, stop linking your self-worth to this because it's not matter. It won't matter. It won't matter when you're dead. Um, but I suppose it's just probably a bit of an addiction to have. In and around the age of 18, um, I just really couldn't take it anymore. I suppose I started a bit of risk-taking behaviour, drinking, smoking, um, boyfriends. And I got further and further away from my mummy and my sister. Um, and I remember going to the doctor and just saying, Listen, I am not right in the head. I actually developed a lot of paranoia and believed that people were trying to spike my drink. And I, there's, and then I would have taken panic attacks. And so few people know this. Like, there's so few people, if they heard me, my friends saying this, they'd be like, I had no idea, I had no idea. I was so ashamed, didn't tell anybody. So I got real bad panic attacks, um, believing someone would have spiked my drink. Um, and I went to the GP about it and they referred me on to psychiatry and psychiatry, I seen a psychiatrist and he took my whole history and he, everything. And I think I must have just turned 18 because I was an adult psychiatrist because I didn't need to bring a parent, which was great because I didn't want them to know. And he weighed me and he said, you know, you, I'm going to be weighing you every time you come here because to me, you have a borderline eating disorder. And I thought, that's it. I am, you know, I'm a nutcase. This is just a disaster. Um, my anxiety was through the roof. They took bloods because they were thinking maybe there was something physically wrong with me that would explain my real low weight and just my whole, I suppose, I had a very pale pallor and just wasn't in good shape, really. And I was just drinking a lot and partying and escaping. There was a big incident in our house. They'd referred me on for counselling as well to help me with mummy. And uh, they there was an incident in our house where mummy had taken a knife. And at that stage, my sister was younger. And I told the counsellor this. And she told me that day, I'll never forget it, it was a Friday, um, like the 11th of February or something. She says, you've got to leave that house because if you don't, I'm going to ring social services and they're going to come for your sister. And I said, OK. And she said, I need your help. I need you to give me your daddy's phone number and I'll ring him and we'll get him in touch. And I was like, right, OK. And I said, I'm not too sure about that. I don't know if he'll help because, I mean, he's married and all now and, you know, he's got his own stuff. And um, she says, no, well, just let me try. So she rang him and lo and behold, I knew nothing. Daddy did show up. Um, and within like four or five days, we moved out of that house. Um, we actually left. Um, we packed about. 20 black bin bags and just grabbed her stuff and left and um, it was very scary because we had no money we didn't know what was going to happen but I knew in my heart we had to get had to get her out of there because they were I don't think they'd have taken her away but they'd have pushed us into kind of live with family that we probably weren't happy with and there was lots of enablers in my mummy's family so they enabled all the drinking and permitted it and you know normalized it and couldn't see it from our perspective if anything they blamed us and thought it's because we're a handful we actually weren't um so it was just not going to be healthy um and then we moved out um and 
things started to get a lot better. Like I um, put on weight and they had prescribed me um, sterilene or sertraline, some type of like medication. Um, and I was taking that at the time. Um, but I'm going to be honest, I abused that. So I would have taken that and then got drunk because I got me drunk quicker. Um, none of my friends know this. None of them. I would never tell them because they'd be thinking she's a nut. Um, but I did. And then my sister and I got allocated a house. So because we, we lived in with like her boyfriend, sister at the time for a few months. And then we got our own house and just things got so much better. I remember when we moved into our own house. Um, it's going to sound really weird, but I like slept naked for about two weeks because in my house at home, you you know, mommy would have come and woke you up in the middle of the night and, you know, there's many a night I had to leave the house in the middle of the night. I remember running to my aunties in the snow um, in the middle of the night because she was so violent and I was able to, I was so freeing and just life just changed. It was like a weight lifted, but the only way I could cope with it was just not have a relationship with her. So I cut her out and my sister did the same and I stopped medication and everything seemed to be not so bad, if I'm honest. It just, I went to university and went to America and, you know, my life just, just took a great, great turn and everyone seemed to be going really brilliantly, but I guess the type type of personality was still there and um, but I got a handle on my life like and I, I made decisions I made a lot of conscious decisions that I was going to leave my hometown I was going to go to university um, I, I wanted to work in a really good job I wanted to make money and I wanted it to be different for me um, and beat everybody's expectations I didn't want anybody and I hated people feeling sorry for me so there was so much I didn't tell people because I couldn't cope with it um, and, and went to university and worked really hard. And my sister would now say that because I did that, she did that. So I always be so happy because she's like extremely successful in her own job now. And that makes me so proud because like I feel like I helped that happen, which which was really good. We did, we, I mean, we did have good support from everybody around us, but there's so much of the mental so much of the um, emotional and mental stuff that people don't we we've never told people like the arguments we would have had the crying um like the paranoia the the worry um all of that we had was I suppose it's just like what's you know what it's like with mental health issues people for whatever reason they just have this ish stigma so you, you bury it and you know you shouldn't but you do looking back now and I I do try to be I suppose I was brought up with a bit of a spiritual belief I suppose that's what I said you know why would God send me this and like why did he choose me and then I would have turned it around thought oh well he's chosen me because he knows I can do it um it sounds a bit evangelistic but I guess for me it was some solace in the midst of it um and uh, even now I know this sounds incredibly maybe a bit contrite but it doesn't it's not intended I am I'm thankful um I am very thankful for every experience I've had because I now can be with people in my job and I can when I say yeah that must be hard I'm speaking from my heart because I actually do know what that feels like 
So I'm hoping that I am able to let them feel that with me, um, that that then would help them to make changes or decisions or just feel that support rather than being talked down to. So it's like they feel, you know, like even if I say to someone, you know, young parent, you know, well, my mom had me young and I think she did an all right job. So that they're like, well, yeah, okay, right enough. Sure, look at you and your job. Maybe I could do this. Um, and having that humility that, you know, it, I think when you see all those little inspirational quotes, like, you know, everyone's fighting a battle, you know, nothing about and all of that um, really means a lot to me because that's actually so true. It means so much. It's so the way it is for people. Um, but we... We and we say it and we acknowledge it and we maybe post on our Instagram and you know we'll maybe have it as our you know um profile pic for a while or whatever but whenever you really feel it and live it I think it is a greater impact so that's what I like to think so I am I am genuinely very grateful for my experiences um although I do get flashbacks I um I do get um like overwhelming sadness at times um particularly around my own children when they ask me questions about my mommy um like I I mean I'm gonna be honest sometimes I just tell them what I think they need to hear which is the good stuff um I block out all the bad stuff plus I've also reconciled with myself that do you know what those first seven years must have been too bad because I'm not a total train wreck so what I consciously did was all of the good stuff that I got in my early years I now magnify that with my own children because there's some really good memories I have and that's what I give now to my kids and the most lovely thing is I see my sister doing it so that's good because it lives on the good stuff lives on and the negative stuff you're trying to you know kind of cut the air from it well, what, what happened was after Kevin was born, I um, felt amazing, as I said, and I was so happy. My firstborn, he was a wee boy. I wanted a wee boy. It was like, oh, this is it. Um, and then I had a miscarriage. And that was the beginning of um, an unbelievably low time in my life. Now, there had been other, there were another few low occasions in my life. There was one when I was at university um, and I would have got a lot of flashbacks um, and it would have been like really silly things. So I'd have been in my boyfriend's flat and I maybe would have got up to go and turn on the heating, the oil heating. I'll never forget it. And as I turned it on for like a two seconds, I was back in my house with my mummy and it just melted my head. And I like ran away that night. Like I ran away. Like I'm in my early 20s. Like who runs away from anywhere? But I ran away because my boyfriend wanted to talk to me about it. And, and I was like, I can't do that. I have to run away. So I literally, I genuinely run up the street. And I hid. Like I did do whenever I was a wee child. If I'd left the house and ran away, mummy would have ran after me. And I actually hid and watched him walk past that he wouldn't catch me. But I did want him to find me, if that sounds kind of, you know, clear. And then I went back to my own flat and texted him and told him I was okay and just to leave me alone. 
Um, and then after that, I said, mm, I need to go and do something with this. I mean, this is, you know, you can't. So I went back and I had counselling with a really, really good counsellor. And it was very helpful because she helped me compartmentalise a lot of what I was thinking and um, getting me just to break it down. Um, but I remember always being very tired after and going for sleep. That tied me over for another little while. And that went really good. Then there was another time when I took another dip um, because I had a massive argument with mummy and she told me something that really upset me. And I went for a one-off counselling session and that kind of topped me up again. And then I was thinking to myself, do you know what? I might need this for the rest of my life and that's okay. So it was about a coming to terms with myself. And then I, then she died. Mummy died and that really was a very surreal situation um and she died and I suppose for me the sadness was that the hope died of her ever was ever having a relationship it died and that for me and I said that to everybody at the time for me the hope is what I grieve because I don't grieve her and the existence that she had because it was a non-existent you know so miserable you know alcoholism is just the most horrendous thing so she didn't ha- she just literally lived day to day I grieved the hope that died it was just horrendous um and then uh, six months after mommy died my sister went around the world traveling so that was like another loss and that floored me I had to take four weeks off work because I was driving home from work thinking you know what I think I just wouldn't want to crash the car the night and I don't actually know if I intended ever to complete suicide but I sure as hell didn't want to have to be thinking anymore about anything and I thought to myself wonder what it Sure, at least I'll get a month off. I could be in hospital. And I mean, it was just obviously very irrational thinking. And I went home and I told my, my boyfriend, and he said, that's it, you're not going to work tomorrow. And I said, I am, because you're not telling me what to do and blah, blah, blah. And then the next morning he rang my manager, which was very kind of him. And he said, dear, listen, she needs time off. You know, and I'm shouting, I'm genuinely in the background shouting, I'll be in tomorrow. <laughs> and he's like, she won't be in tomorrow and she's going to the doctor. So I went to the doctor. Well, I kind of knew in my heart I needed to sort this out again. And the doctor said, that's it. You're out. Of, you're not going back for a month. And I want you to come and see me next week. And I want you to get lots of sleep and whatever. And I had four weeks off and I seen him every week. And it wasn't counselling or it wasn't like I just called in to see him. And I went on a dinner and I said, right, I'm back to see you. He had been like, yeah. And how are you? And I'm like, well, no, I'm not all right. And. No, you're not all right, Karen. You're not going to be all right. And that that is all right. Um, so after that, I went back to work and things. I mean, it's, it's as if I go through these times where, like, I take a dip and then I get back up. I take a dip and I get back up. Um, and I'm always, up until that point, I was like, no, no medication. Thank you. I'll do this. I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, and then I went on to get married and I had my first wee boy and that was amazing. And then I had this miscarriage in 2010 and it was nothing short of horrendous and I could not put my finger on it. You know, people would have said, um, I had a miscarriage and it's very sad. But for me, that just felt so different. And I had been so watching myself after the first baby was born because I thought oh, I'm definitely going to get postnatal depression because I mean I'm just I mean I'm, I'm I'm 
I'm not mentally stable at the best time. This is not going to work out for me. But then nothing happened. I thought that's great. And then I had the miscarriage and it was like, it was unreal. Like I just, I didn't want to breathe. I didn't want to move. I didn't want to eat. I didn't even want to be in the same room as my husband. I went off the baby, wasn't interested in him either. Um, I didn't talk to anybody. I was extremely um, agitated, intolerant, grumpy, um, and obsessed with getting pregnant. So, because I thought that's going to fix it. So then I became pregnant. And I can categorically say that that entire pregnancy, I was depressed. Um, that entire pregnancy, I spoke to the midwife at one stage about it. And she said, okay, I think you need to be seen by the psychiatrist again. So we'll get you referred. And she brought me into this GP who was about 20 years younger than me. Um, and he was like, no, you don't need a psychiatrist. You're fine. And I remember thinking, God, if only he knew. Um, before he knew about me, he, he'd have me referred there in the morning. So I, I just, I, I just soldiered on the whole pregnancy. Um, I didn't enjoy one minute of it. Um, it was horrendous. I didn't want the baby. I did want the baby. I didn't want to be pregnant. I did want to be pregnant. I didn't know what I wanted. And I just felt it was just a very dark, dark time in my life. The darkest of all of the times of my life, if I'm honest. The baby was born and she was beautiful and she was a little girl. So I felt like, oh, this is great. I'm, lots of mending to be done here. And I did make a promise to her that things are going to be different for you and me than they were for me and my mom and stuff. And then it was probably about nine months later when I was due, go, due to go back to work that the anxiety propped up again. And I remember one night not being able to get a hold of my sister. And at that time, she was going out with this guy who was really nice, but he was just a bit suppose he was a bit intense and she was trying to end the relationship and my anxiety went through the roof and I thought that's it he's done something to her she was meant to come to my house for dinner and she didn't come and I phoned daddy uh he could, didn't know where she was he drove to her house car wasn't there he rang me and he's like don't be worried we'll get her and I said no daddy she's not answering her phone I left my house and I drove to her work and as I was driving up the road to her work, I imagined that there was like people in the shed. There was these sheds and I imagined like she was in there. It, listen, it's, it sounds completely like like crazy now. But at the time, it was very real to me. And my heart was racing. It was just sheer anxiety. And I went up and there she was having a meeting with her bosses. And I was literally wrapping every window to check she was okay. And I come home that night and I said to my husband, do you think? They would sign me off work, you know, get a little bit of sick leave because maybe I need something. And he said to me, he said, Kira, sign, sign you off work for sick leave. I think right now they'd sign you into psychiatric hospital. You're not, you're not thinking straight. And I thought, right, that's it. So once again, back to the docs the next day. And I started um, an antidepressant. And took it for two weeks and it made me really sleepy and it was just really awful so I got it changed and that worked really well that that was kind of like the beginning of me um living a semi-normal life um then the thing is it got so normal that I fell pregnant again and had to come off the antidepressant and then I had to do that pregnancy with no antidepressants which was very tough um 
And I had the most amazing health visitor you can imagine who whose specialism was actually postnatal depression. Um, and I kept saying to her, she was still coming out to see me because the other wee one was so wee. And I was saying to her, you know, this is all because of my childhood. This is all. If only I had had a better mummy. If only I'd, I'd had better parents. Like I was so fixated on this. Like this is my experiences uh, from being wee. Like my parents have let me down. She was like, no, sorry, doesn't matter. Because I'll tell you what, I've just come from a house around the corner and that girl has all the support you could imagine. And she feels just the way you feel. So actually, that's no bearing on it. Yeah, it's probably made it a bit harder for you. But nah, I'm sorry, that doesn't cut it, Kira. And that, in a way, for the first time, helped me realise that actually... Yeah, those experiences, yeah, they're, they're terrible and whatever, but they are not impact on this. This is actually a hormonal issue in your body and it, in a way, can be mended because I always saw my past as I can never fix that. That can never be mended. You can't go back. It can't be changed. That's about acceptance of that um, and living with it. Whereas when she was explaining to me, well, actually, your postnatal depression is completely treatable it's completely fixable you know this is something we can handle and she in a way took the reins and was like this is how it's going to work um i'm going to come see you every week um she gave me lots of cbt exercises to do she gave me lots of um exercises to compartmentalize my thinking again um she got me to think you know to like line up what was important to me rather than because of course my anxiety was through the roof again I was worried about my next door neighbor should I be visiting them and making them soup and you know what would they think of me if I'm not doing that for them I am such a terrible neighbor and um she's like no he's nothing to do with you like she was in a way like that um like a like a like a godmother or something in your ear saying no that's not your business you stay with what you need to do um which which was absolutely amazing and I got a prescription for I, I mean I would actually say that woman saved my life. Um she I got a prescription for um antidepressants because I just went to the GP before the baby was born and I said, Listen, I, I you know I'm not sure but just give them to me. I'm feeling a lot better, blah blah blah. And the day the baby was born the following day I just started taking them because I thought you know what my children need me and I don't want to take a risk with anything anymore this is about moving forward and not living with this anxiety and peaks and troughs and I'm very off the view that I'll probably always be in and out of counselling and that's all right like I'm I've accepted that I've no problem with that I'll always step in and out of it um and that's okay but if there's something extra that I can be doing to help, then I ought to be doing it. So um, I just, you know, and I've had, I ha- I've had other, I had other counselling as well. Um, when I was pregnant, I should have said that actually, because that tied me over in a sense um, throughout the pregnancy without medication. I had other counselling with a very straight talking counsellor who, who really helped me. And the most amazing thing about it was he actually um, 
had had uh, addiction issues. So that was very helpful because in a way he was like able to tell me what my mommy might have been thinking. Um, it was it was you know very very helpful. Um, and I'm I'm very grateful for all of the services that I've had. I mean they are superb, absolutely first class, um, and piecing everything together for me. You know, my husband is just well, he's amazing. Um, through it all, whatever you need, I'll do it. Um, in the really dark days, like I couldn't even make the baby's bottles. I just couldn't. He would have come home from work and he would have had to wash and sterilize, eat baby bottles, make bottles, do washing, cook a dinner. Like I didn't. People think, <laughs> you know, like that I was at home and, you know, being like Mary Poppins. And I can tell you, I wasn't. I was lying in bed with an electric blanket on, you know, when the baby was taken asleep. Um, it there were just really dark times, really bad days. Um, and I just didn't, you know, he just knew by my functioning or actually lack of it. Um, but again, his attitude to mental health would be very um, supportive and very positive. Um, his own sister um, has bipolar and he has lived with mental health difficulties for her from he was a teenager. So when she's had, you know, repeated admissions to hospital and He's extremely kind and attentive to her, and he's like that with me as well. So um, there's a few people outside of my family, like an aunt, who knows a little bit about it. Um, but I kind of don't want to tell her too much because she gets too sad about it. So because I think it's all that guilt about the past and all, which is not helpful. I'm very fortunate, and I know that, that I do feel that that is... I genuinely feel that I I have that acceptance. I don't know where it's come from, but it's just this is just going to be me, and I think that's all right. Um, I, I I I don't know. Um, I I think it's a multitude of things for me. Um, I think uh, talking definitely helps. Um, medication definitely helps. I mean, as it stands, I will never not be taking an antidepressant I did try to come off them um, and that was a disaster so I just accepted it as in do you know what if I had diabetes I'd take insulin if I had high blood pressure I'd take whatever those tablets are I have a thyroid condition I take um, synthetic thyroxin for that to keep that regulated to keep my metabolism going I don't see that as a stigma so I suppose for me I'm trying to challenge those um, views of mental health within myself um, and normalize it in, you know, inverted commas, so that sh- that I'm just get on with it. This is just the way it is. The other thing that has helped for me is like uh, researching it. So I research everything I, I so I like to read up on adverse childhood experiences I like to read up on trauma um I like to read up on being a highly sensitive person like I'll buy all these books and I will I mean eat them so I'm a bit of a detective about my own mental health 
um, because I think it helps. No, I don't think it. I know it. It really, really helps me. Um, and I look up a lot of like the um, trauma-informed psychologists out there, um, like Bruce D. Perry, um, Gabor Mate, um, Nadine Burkharis. Like I, I read their stuff. I buy their books, and that helps me. Helps me like me. Helps me understand me. Helps me forgive me. Um, helps me just accept me. Um, and all, but I think what it does is that it it educates me about me, so that if anyone ever questions me, I am able to give them a very well read answer, because that makes me feel like a better person. That's about my self worth. It was very complicated, and I am a very complicated person, but I think it help. That's what helps me. There are probably lots of therapies that I would have loved to have a go at, um, but I just, well, I can't afford them. Like, I would absolutely love um, the the one where SERT, so it's like the sensitive something, something. I'd love to try that where um, they look at the, the, like a trauma within your body and how your body is, how your body carries the trauma so there's a really good book out there called the body knows the score or something like that and it talks about how you physically carry trauma um but i would like to know just about getting rid of that because sometimes i don't know if talking about it too much is helpful sometimes i feel like i just need rid of it um so i just want i don't want to physically carry it anymore because i at times can feel the physical weight of trauma um and then i would also I've had a wee bit of CBT and I find it really helpful. Um, but sometimes my anxiety was too high. I didn't actually have the patience to do it. Um, and, you know, the basic stuff, like just looking after yourself, doing the things in life you like. Like they're really, you know, the granny, you know, your granny would prescribe this kind of stuff, like buying yourself nice flowers. Um, I love making other people happy. I think I think it would have been like that, whether I'd had all this or not. Um, I just love seeing people happy and all of that. And I, I love being with my children and my dogs and my family. So for me, it's it's, an, it's an, a bit of an eclectic mix. It's being with my friends. And I have to say, I have some of the most patient friends you can imagine. Because there are times that I, my personality is, I've most certainly been affected my, by my experience. So there are times when I can seem and appear a little bit off, but my friends just run with it. Um, and it's not them, and they know it's not them, but I'm just a bit weird for a day or two, and they don't know what it is. And if I'm honest, I don't know either. Um, could be something troubling me, could be something I've been thinking about, could be my past, uh, who knows, but they just run with it. Um, they are so incredibly kind. They don't, uh, what we, you know, are we saying from around here is they pass no remarks. And I think that has stood the test of time for me as well, that I have people that just have stuck with me. Um, because it was before my mummy died, we all kind of went our separate ways and people went to uni and people went to work and all of that. And then my mummy died and it was like her death was like the beginning of a new start for all of us. Like we've more or less been inseparable from then. We all got back in touch and, you know, we've just been there for each other, which has been lovely. So it was a good thing come out of a very bad thing.
I think sometimes when you do talk about, and I sometimes I'd be conscious that I don't want to be like a running commentary, like it's like, and I maybe talk about it a bit detached, but I guess that's how I cope with it. But I suppose for me, I use all of my experiences as my my compass, um, and they do help me stay focused, humble grateful for everything that I have I mean in a way I do sound quite evangelistic and I don't mean to um but I I do mean this like I would not be who I am without what I've experienced um I would not make the decisions that I make without my my experience as warped as it might sound um I do try to take gratitude from them because it was just the way it was and I do I'm a great believer in existentialism as well um, and that has helped me greatly and just accepting some things just are the way they are and that's just it so that's very freeing for me because that it's just true with my wee ones like I will I get them to talk about their feelings and I'm very conscious that if you look at it, they're probably they're probably going to have some difficulties with their mental health. It's just in the genes. And I suppose my husband's a bit like, oh, that's a bit fatalist, isn't it? And I'd be like, well, no, because do you know what? I'd rather we're ready for it and be able to support them and talk them through it um, than say, oh, no, everyone's going to be OK because our childhoods are different or you know, I, I don't want to live my life like that. I'd rather be more prepared. And and I think there is a lot of, there's more discussion now about mental health and how you feel about yourself and look at yourself and what's your internal voice telling you than we ever had growing up, you know, which can only be to their benefit. I, you know, the wee ones these days. theme song is Waves by Pictures of the Floating World. You can follow along on Instagram at mymindandi underscore podcast, or if you'd like to get in touch or be featured on an episode, you can email my